0: You're listening to the weekly podcast of Citizens Church with Pastor Chris Norman. For more information on the work that God is doing through Citizens Church, please visit us online at citizenschurch.org. And everyone agreed together and said a good hearty. Amen and amen. Anyone got their Bible with them today? Come on, let me see your Bible. Let me see your Bible. Let me see your Bible. Let me see a glowing screen. If you got a glowing screen, all right. Why don't you get out your Bible? Turn with me over to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 19. Okay? 1 Kings 19. What I want to do is give us a framework for handling emotion. Um, for handling, a lot of people asked about what do I do with these, this like fear, stress, anxiety? Uh, depression. What what do I do with these emotions in my life? And, and maybe maybe some mood swings that you find yourselves in. Maybe some of you today are really genuinely wrestling with bouts of depression, and you're wondering how how do I move forward? How do I handle these things? Over well, in the book of First Kings, let me set the stage for you. Elijah is a incredible man of God. He's, a, he's, an, he's a, a prophet worth studying, okay? He's got a resume that is so impressive, which includes, by the way, him, you know, the widow whose, whose son had passed away. Elijah shows up and God, through Elijah, resurrects this child, the Old Testament uh, resurrection from death to life through, uh, through Elijah, God's, God's man. is also the one, when he was in the wilderness, and uh, needed to eat, God sent him some ravens. I mean, there's a message you could preach on God bringing you some ravens. And you know it's a, you, you, you know in a good spot when God is sending you food with, with, from, from like his delivery system is a, a raven. You know, like God's looking after you, everybody. And I think one of the best, one of my favorite stories of Elijah is the one I'm about, uh, that, that comes right before the chapter we're gonna read in First in, in Kings 19. So let me, let me set the stage. Uh, Elijah, is going up against the, the prophets of Baal and Asher. There's 800 prophets of Baal and Asher who are saying that their gods are the only gods, their gods are the true gods. And Elijah's like, ah, oh, this is not true. There is God in heaven with a capital G. Come on, amen? amen? And we talked about this in our series where we looked at the names of God. Elohim, he is he is. He is he is God above all gods. He is creator God. And if you created it, you're above it, all of it. He created the heavens and the earth, meaning anything you can imagine in them, in, in, in the heavens or in the earth, he's, he's over all of it. And so Elijah's like, hey, I, I got an idea. Let's, let's, have ourselves a little, um, let's have ourselves a little test. Why don't you guys build an altar to your gods and I'll build an altar to God, to the God. And what we'll do is, is, once we've built our altars, you guys ask your God to, to consume the altar with fire. And then I'll ask God to consume my altar with fire. And whichever God answers with fire, we know is the true God. And so they're like, deal. Sounds like a deal. And so they build their altar, these 800 uh, prophets of Asher and Baal. And, and they start to cry out to Asher and Baal to, to bring fire from heaven to consume these altars. And nothing happening. I mean, they're, they're dancing around the altars. They're, they're cutting themselves. They're doing everything they can. And you got to love Elijah because he starts trash talking them. I mean, like legitimately he's going, oh, hey, well, your gods must be on vacation. They're not answering you. Oh, they, they might be taking a nap. He literally at one point says, uh, maybe your gods are relieving themselves. He like, he literally, like maybe they're using the restroom, y'all. Like maybe, maybe that's the problem. Maybe you need to, he's in the background going, I think you need to be louder, you know. And they're just going and going and going and going and nothing's happening. Elijah finally says, all right, my turn. There you it's your turn. First thing he does, I think just a little, I love, I just love his attitude. It's just a little bit, you know what, let's up the stakes, and it says that he doused water all over the altar. Like, so if this is gonna be consumed, we know it's miraculous. He puts water all over the altar and he says, God, Would you reveal yourself? And it tells us in that moment, that fire came down from heaven and licked up all the water around the altar, consumed the entire altar. Elijah then goes and has all of these false prophets who were leading people astray, these these dangerous men and women, he has them actually executed at the sword. And Elijah is walking around kind of like, it's a good day, it's a good day. And immediately following Elijah's good day, his good moment, you get to Elijah chapter 19, where you read this. Elijah chapter 19, starting in verse 1. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel, pause with me, told who? Jezebel. How many Jezebels are there? He said, One Jezebel, one, one lady, one girl. He just fought 800 prophets of Baal and Asher. Now you got one girl says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had executed the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more so also if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to berseda belonging to judah and he left his servant there but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die and he said it is enough now lord take my life for i am no better than my ancestors talk about a mood swing Going from on top of the world, God, reveal yourself, bring fire from heaven, defeating 800, to running for his life, sitting under a broom tree, praying that it might be over. And I don't want to make too much light of this. The reality is, Elijah, in this moment, he's having suicidal thoughts. He's just, he's saying, like, there's no reason for me to keep living this lady wants to kill me. I'm out here alone in the middle of the desert. And he is, he is in this place of, of fear, anxiety, depression. Your mood is its kind of like the tone of your heart. Your mood is the tone of your interaction with the world around you. It's the state of your emotion at any given time. If we were to talk about your mood, like your emotion. And for some of us, in any given day, it could go from, it could range anywhere from really good to really bad. And it's not like you just have a really bad day all day, every day. Sometimes it's a really good day and it ends up being a bad day, but then we go back to a good day before we put our heads on our pillow at night. And our mood is just kind of all, all over the place. So maybe you go from in the morning, you know, you're, you, it's a good, you have, you're having a good time, you know, you're laughing at a friend's text, maybe an Instagram story that you just found. Like, have you seen this cat? Have you seen this cat? And you're just laughing, you're lighthearted, everything's good. And then, you know, uh, maybe in the office, having a good day in the office. Then on the way home, there's a lot of traffic. And we've been in traffic before in Southern California. And all of a sudden, you know, you find yourself getting frustrated. And now all of a sudden, you find yourself moving into a mood. And you find yourself fighting, bad mood. Sometimes it's just the people you get around. You get around people who are in bad moods and they pull you into bad moods, anybody? And so you can find yourself in this range, range of emotion. Here's what you need to understand is that if you and I don't learn to deal with our moods, then our moods will deal with us. Or to say how I think we need to hear it is if you don't learn to handle your emotions, our emotions will end up handling us. And God never intended for us to be a people who are being handled by emotions. God intends for us to be a people, as I'll teach you today, to become a people who learn how to handle our emotions, how to handle our emotions. See, if you don't learn how to handle your emotions, they affect everything. They end up managing, they manage you if you don't manage them. So your emotions, watch, come on, tell me if you're in this, in this camp, right? You, in, you can make a bad decision because you were in a bad mood. So you're making really bad decisions because you're in a really bad mood. Or you, it'll affect your decisions, affect your, your reactions with people. If you're in a mood or an emotion that you haven't learned to handle, then your interaction with people becomes negative. You're, you're in an irritated mood, and, and therefore you're, you're impatient with somebody that you probably should have been patient with, all because you let your mood have, have its way within your heart or your emotion have its way within your heart. Um, it'll affect your relationships, all because you haven't learned to handle or deal with your, your moods. Your emotions. What I want you to understand about emotions, what we need to understand biblically, is that emotions are actually given to us by God. Like God gives you the capacity to feel. God gives you the capacity to have emotion. And there are certain biblical Godly emotions that God wants us, listen, someone say cultivate, like to, to cultivate inside your heart, to, to make sure are alive and well inside your heart that are happening inside of your heart. And I need you to hear this because some of us think that, we, that our emotions just come at us in, in, in uncontrollable surges that, that we can't therefore uh, uh, navigate through. But biblical teaching is that, no, you have emotions. They, they surge, but there is a way to deal with them, as we'll talk about today, in a way that they don't have to get the best, of the best of you. And there are certain emotions that you are supposed to cultivate. Someone say cultivate. And there's certain emotions you're supposed to confront. Someone say confront. So what are the emotions God calls us to cultivate? So within our heart, God intends for there to be, listen, let me give you some scripture reference. God intends for there to be gladness inside your heart. The Gladness inside your heart. The Bible says, worship the Lord with what? What's it say? Worship the Lord with all your heart. But this verse, Psalm 100, verse two says, worship the Lord with what? Yeah. Gladness. Come before him with what? Joyful song. So the Bible says, listen, listen, when you come into his presence on Sunday morning, when we come in, we're gonna worship, you don't get to decide, I'm just not in the mood. The Bible says there's a command. It's a command. Worship the Lord with gladness. Well, I don't feel glad. Well, you stir it up inside your heart by reminding yourself who your God is, how good he is, what he has done for you. And you don't let the mood get the best of you. You say to yourself, as David said, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Put your trust in God. You see, we go, oh, my mood. I'm gonna bow to my mood. I'm to. But God says, no, no. When you come into my presence, you get some joy all up inside your heart. You get some, how, how, and then I love this very, very practical. How do you get joy inside your heart? He goes, with, think, with thanksgiving. Watch this. Go back to that verse. Where we Anyway, you do it with, uh, perform with joyful songs. Like you just get joyful, celebratory praise inside your heart. You bring it in. It says rejoice in Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those, this is compassion, right? Another emotion we're supposed to have in our heart. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. What is that? There's a compassionate element that God says, an emotion of compassion that you're to, to have within your heart. Some of you say, I don't have compassion. Well, the Bible says you need to learn. Here's how you do it. When somebody's rejoicing, rejoice with them. And when somebody is, is sorrowful, you be sorrowful with them. you got to learn to uh, cultivate compassion inside your heart. The Bible says that inside our hearts, there needs to be an attitude of, of peace and thankfulness. Colossians chapter 3 verse 15 says let the peace of Christ rule in your heart which indeed you were called into one body and be what thankful that's what I was looking for be thankful There's something about when you learn to be thankful, it starts to feed into your peace inside your heart and your joy inside your heart. Instead of complaining about all the things I don't have and that aren't going well, I start to look at the things I do have and that are going well, amen? It's a cultivation in our heart of the things, the emotions that God tells us we are to have inside of our heart. You know, the overarching theme of a believer's heart, the thing that's supposed to anchor us that we are to draw back to all the time, no matter where we find ourselves wandering. Do you know what that theme is supposed to be inside of our hearts? That theme scripturally is joy. Listen, God intends for for there to be joy all up inside your heart. You know, in Psalm 16, verse 11, it says this, you make known to me the paths of life. In your presence, there is fullness of what? Joy. How do you know when someone's been in God's presence? Joy is just going to be bubbling up from inside of you. I'll leave it alone. God wants you to spend time with Him. This isn't about just knowing a bunch of facts and figures about God. Some people know God like they know a baseball player that they've studied, and they could quote to you some stats off the back of their baseball card. And so they say, I, I know God. Well, why? Because here's what the Bible says, and here's this verse, and here's that verse, and I got this buttoned up, and I believe this about that. It's like, great, 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 great. But the know that God wants you to know is not a know, a intellectual, only intellectual assent. God wants you to know him as, listen, interactional relationship. Yeah. And so God says, listen, I want you to experience joy. You won't have it just by knowing a bunch of stuff intellectually you will have it by experiencing me and being in my presence and in my presence there is what fullness of if we could bring that verse back up there in his presence is fullness of joy at his right hand are treasures forevermore I'm telling you joy Christians should be the most joyful people on the planet because we're walking with God now I'm going to get to it that's not to say you don't wrestle with fear and you don't wrestle with doubt you don't wrestle with anxiety but I'm going to help you with those things God wants to get us into this place. Psalm 98 verse 4 says, listen, command, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise. Someone say loud. A loud noise unto the Lord and sing praise. Why is it so loud at citizens? Because it's biblical, everybody. That's why. Amen. It's biblical. I mean, there's just something. Do you think the angels in heaven are sitting around going, holy, holy, holy? kind of whispered no way they are all out full on all in holy 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 is our lord god holy because there's just this joy and exuberant expression coming out of their lives toward their creator god joy joy and god says christian you and i need to learn to cultivate those things in our life well there are some things well in 1940 in 1646 a long time ago. A group of scholars from Westminster Sem- uh, West, I almost said cemetery. Sometimes, sometimes um, seminaries can become cemeteries if they're, if they're not filled with life. But from the Westminster uh, Seminary concluded that the chief aim and goal of man's life, according to scripture, like if you were to boil this all down, like what is man to do? This is what they wrote. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What am I supposed to be doing with my life? Listen, you glorify God and enjoy him forever. Your theology is meant to lead you, listen, to joy. It's meant to lead you to, man, just falling in love with God over and over and over again. Doctrine is meant to lead to delight. Knowing God needs to lead you to preferring God, treasuring him, and enjoying him. Amen? Amen? But then we have these other things that try to sneak into our heart. Fear. These are the things we need to confront in our heart. Fear. God said, scripture says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love of sound mind. Doubt, worry, uh, jealousy. The Bible says, do not worry about your life. Some of us, we have the emotions settling. We're starting to worry about everything. God says, hey, hey, don't worry about your life. Well, God, there's so much to worry about. And God goes, what Jesus says in Scripture, was you look at the birds of the air. I'm taking care of them. I got you. Stop worrying about your life. Anxiety. The Bible says, be anxious for what? Nothing. How do I be anxious for nothing? With all things, prayer and supplication, make your requests to be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Don't you be anxious about nothing, you see? We gotta guard our hearts from these things. Guard your heart from hopelessness. Let me give you one other verse. I don't think I have it for the screen, but Romans chapter five, verse 13, if you write it down, it says this. May the God of all hope, May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is where God wants to draw us. Now, let's be practical, let's be real. All of us at times find ourselves wrestling with, we'll call them negative emotions. Things that God does not, that that God, that, that aren't supposed to be in your heart. Okay, things that we don't wanna leave in our heart. We're all gonna face that. We're all going to wake up at some time, and, and sometimes and feel fear settling in. Fear, feel anxiety trying to settle in. Feel depression trying to take over. We find ourselves getting moody from time to time. We find ourselves, you know, struggling where we're starting to get critical from time to time, and we're starting to get, you know, all, uh, you know, judgmental from time. And things just start to settle into your heart. Let me let me teach you something. Let me teach you something. Just because an emotion is starting to pull you in a certain direction doesn't mean you have to go that way doesn't mean you have to bow to it. Listen, your emotions are a gauge you need to check, not a God you obey. It's a gauge I check, huh? I got something starting to settle into my heart, but not a God I need to obey. Just because I have emotions, listen, doesn't mean they have to have me, amen? So I can start to feel jealous or anxious or fearful, But just because I feel that way doesn't mean I have to go that way. Just because I feel like giving up doesn't mean I have to. Just because I feel like giving in doesn't mean I have to. Just because, listen, I feel like yelling at somebody doesn't mean you have to. Your feeling, listen, your feeling a certain way doesn't give you the right to be a certain way. And I understand emotions are huge. But we need to learn to filter our emotion through what is true and what is biblical. What, is, what, what does the Bible say about how I'm supposed to handle this thing inside me and I need to learn to filter it through. And I'm gonna teach you how to do that in the, in the time that we have, that we have left. I, I like to call it launching a counterattack, okay? You're being attacked, your, your emotions are surging. You feel yourself drowning once again and, and, and moving toward, toward this place of depression once again. I want to teach you how to launch a counterattack. Now, over in the book of, of Lamentations, we find our buddy Jeremiah wrestling with legitimate depression. Depression. It's very real. The book's called Lamentations, by the way. I mean, that tells you, that don't sound like a fun book to read. What book are you in? am lamenting, lamentation. I mean, the whole book is about his depression. But in the middle of his depression, in the middle of, listen, everything that feels like it's going wrong, everything that's pulling on him emotionally, he has the wherewithal to launch a counterattack in the middle of all of it. That's what Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23 are. Here's what it says in Lamentations 3. It says, in the middle of his depression, think about it, it's the darkest of nights for him. Here's what he says. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. He says, everything around me is falling apart. Nothing is faithful. Everything around me is crumbling. Nothing seems to be going my way. Nothing is going right. But here's what I can stand on. My kids aren't calling me back. My money's funny. My, my boss at work is, is being intense again. People aren't talking to me. People talking bad about me. People, fill in the blank. He stops in the middle of all of it and goes, but here's what I can stand on is that the steadfast love of the Lord will never cease. His mercies will never come to an end. Matter of fact, they are new every morning. Great is, watch, his faithfulness. My faithfulness? No, his faithfulness. What is he doing? He's launching a counterattack. He's going, my mind is drifting this way. My emotions are drifting that way. I'm feeling this. I'm feeling that. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to remind my soul. I'm going to remind my heart that the steadfast love of my Lord never ceases. His mercy never come on. Amen? You watch in the book of, a book of Psalms as you read through Psalms. David does this all the time. He's, he's struggling, he's hurting, and what does he do? He takes it to God and he says, and then he starts talking to his own soul. David says, Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Put your trust in God, worship him. And he launches a counterattack. What is the best way to launch a counterattack? I want you to see it. Over back in Kings, what I want you to do and what we need to do is we reverse engineer everything that our buddy Elijah did. Can I tell you, listen, listen, Elijah made all the wrong moves. And if you could take his wrong moves and turn them into right moves, you'll find yourself launching a counterattack against these emotions that surge inside of you. And so let's look at it together. How did Elijah end up in a place where he was wanting to take his own life, where his emotions were so overwhelming that he didn't know what to do? It tells us in 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah was what? Afraid. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And he came to Bethsaida. He was afraid and therefore he ran. He ran, why? Because he was afraid. Elijah's feet were running because his mind was running. He was told that this lady Jezebel was gonna kill him, sent him a letter. And instead of answering in faith, watch, his mind starts playing it out. Oh no, oh no, where, where, I, wonder, I, wonder, I wonder where I am. I wonder how she's tracking me. I, I wonder if she's gonna be able to find me. I, I, I wonder how many she's gonna send to get me. And and, and and he starts, listen, the word's called ruminating. And it means that you you take something that, that has maybe no solution to it within your own self, and you circle it over and over again, ruminating, repetitively going over a thought or a problem without completion. It's a cul-de-sac, it's a a feedback loop. You ever find yourself in one of these? You got a problem and you, you think through it and you don't come to a solution, and then you start wondering, well, I wonder if, maybe, but it gets worse. In your mind, and then you do it again, and it gets worse, and, you, and it gets worse, and it gets worse. And you, you ruminate, and it always leads you to this place where you're just like, there's just no hope. You play it out in your mind and it's never played out in faith. It's always played out in fear. And so you tell yourself you have no other option but to run. You have no other option but to give in and to give up. Why? Because you've been ruminating this thing within your mind, this cul-de-sac that, that keeps you spinning. You go round and round in your thinking, round and round in your mind and your, your, your emotions are attached to your mind and now you're going round and round in your emotions. You're going round and round in your heart. And with each pass, the threat gets louder and louder and the solution becomes less and less hopeful. And you get dizzy and you lose your equilibrium. You actually end up losing your grip on reality because you're stuck in your mind. And here's Elijah. His his feet are running because his mind's running. She's going to kill me. She's going to kill me. Elijah, you just saw God call fire. Fire came from heaven and consumed the altar. 800 prophets of Baal and Asher were put to death under. And you think, one girl? What is going on in your mind? He's, he's ruminating, 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 ruminating. And you and I do the same thing. And you need, listen friends, you need to learn. You're gonna write this down. First thing you do is you're gonna plant your feet. When you feel yourself being pulled further and further into that into that darkness and further and further into that depression, that fear, that anxiety, that worry, that whatever it is, you gotta, at that moment, you're gonna plant, you plant your feet and you say, no, 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 I'm not going to let my thoughts go there. I want you to understand that spiritual warfare is a very real thing. And people think spiritual warfare is like this, you know, you're gonna open, there's gonna be some, you know, a dimension open up and you're gonna see like, some stuff from like Lord of the Rings or something, right? But spiritual warfare is very real. Do you know the battlefield it takes place on? It's your mind. Spiritual warfare takes place on the battlefield of your mind. And the enemy is throwing darts trying to get you to, to walk toward fear and doubt and, exer- and, and, and anxiety and uncertainty and, and criticism and judgmental. And he's trying to pull you into all those things. And in your mind, you need to launch a counterattack and go, no, I'm planting my feet. And where do you plant your feet? On the word of God. I plant my feet on what the Bible says. And here's what my Bible says Dear friends, fix your thoughts. Your thoughts are broken. So he says, Fix your thoughts, anchor your thoughts on what is, listen, true. Is it true? Most of the darn stuff you're thinking about and allowing yourself to ruminate over, and I think that they meant this, and I think that she said that, and I think it's just you making it up in your own head because it's not true. How do you know if it's true? you got to go talk to the person and say, hey, is this what you meant? Is this what's really going on? You don't know if it's true. And the enemy's sitting there going, it's true, it's true, it's true, it's true. And God's going, no, 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 no. Come back to what's true. Go figure out what's true. God's word is true. Oh, and he adds to it. Fix your mind on what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure. Come on, where are your thoughts been? If your thoughts aren't on what is true and honorable and pure, lovely, admirable, guys, we need to learn to fix them. We put our feet down and say, I will not let my mind go there. Because there's a battle happening right now for my mind. And I'm not gonna let the enemy win. Because if I let my mind go there, I will make decisions that I will regret. Decisions that will lead me down roads that I should have never walked down, that I could have prevented by just simply fixing my thoughts. Someone say, fix your thoughts. You gotta fix your thoughts. Elijah's feet are running because his mind is running. But here's the reality is some of us are actually dealing with some really difficult things, facing some real issues. So, how do you fix your thoughts? Well, friends, you stay with your people. Write that down. Stay with your people. Put it up on the screen. Stay with your people. What do I mean by that? Do you see Elijah's second mistake? He's running from this girl. He's filled with fear and he's running from this girl. And then it tells us in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 and 4. What's it say? It says Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life, went to Bethsaida in Judah. And it says he left his servant there. Isn't that interesting? He left his servant there, and he himself, by himself, went a day's journey into the wilderness. Elijah left his servant and went to the wilderness when he needed to be with his servant and get to C group. He got to get to his crew. But instead of running toward, watch this, instead of running toward people, Elijah's getting himself in a really bad spot because he's running from people. Nothing will help get you out of your own thinking more than getting around the, listen to me very closely, getting around the right, right people. There are some wrong people to get around when your mind is running who also have their mind running. It ends up being the blind leading the blind and everyone's sitting going, oh, everyone's like in their little thing and it actually makes the whole situation worse for you. And you need to get around the right people People who love God, filled with the Spirit. People who have been there for you and will want, people who want to walk with you and, and love on you and care for you. And nothing's gonna get you help more like getting, in the right, getting to the right people. Now, because of that, what does the enemy always want to do? The enemy actually always wants to isolate you and get you away from the very people that God wants to use to help bring, resolve and healing to your life. And so what the enemy will do is he looks for a way to isolate you, to push you deeper and deeper into loneliness, deeper and deeper into uh, whatever maybe negative thing you find yourself trending toward. The enemy is always gonna push you from people. The enemy's gonna lie to you in these moments. He's gonna lie to you and tell you that you don't belong. He's gonna tell you you, you don't fit in. He's gonna tell you, watch, the, the very people you need to be around are now the people, listen, they don't get you, is what the enemy's gonna say. And they don't really love you. And they they don't understand you. They can't really help you. And what is that? It's the enemy always trying to push you away from the very people God's put in your life to help you and to come around you. Don't fall, listen, pray to the enemy's tactics. Any thought, please lean into this. I have sat in counseling Appointment after counseling appointment, with couples, with individuals who've walked down roads that they regret walking down because they don't understand this principle. Listen very closely. Any thought, any thought, any thought that pushes you from God's people and into isolation is a lie from the pit of hell. I'm telling you right now, any thought that says, You gotta go this alone. Any thought that says you're gonna you're gonna figure this out on your own, you're gonna process this on your own. You're gonna, I'm telling you, it's from the pit of hell. The enemy always tries to get you around, uh, get you away from health and push you into isolation. You need to get out of isolation and into godly community. Amen. Amen. Can I have a better amen? I I always worry, always worry when I see people I love and see people start to pull into isolation, that it, there's a storm coming anytime I see that happening. Um, sometimes young couples will start dating like really young and they pull themselves away from their whole community. They pull themselves away and they're doing their own thing. And everyone thinks, oh, it's so cute. You know, they got their own thing. No, it's actually comes very, very unhealthy because now they've isolated themselves from community and, and they've, they're, they're doing their own thing. And it's just a trajectory that we're not intended to walk down. God intends for you to make decisions, to to do life in the context of godly community, biblical community, where Jesus is at the center and we're all just pushing one another toward him and friends anything that tries to pull you from that is the enemy trying to lead you down really dark roads and you need listen to me you plant your feet and sometimes the best way to plant your feet is you got to stay with your people amen you stay with your people and you stay connected to your people One of the things that I fear is feeding, ah, it's late, social media. Stay off if you're hurting because what you really need is genuine friendships, not just a scrolling and a screen. We've replaced face-to-face with with screen time, and screen time is kind of like candy. You eat a whole bunch of it. Your stomach feels sick. You need a meal, and the meals happen face-to-face with people. That's all I'm going to say. Amen? Get... Out of rooms. Remember the days when we were kids? Like you, our parents used to have us give us a curfew, like just to get us to come home. And now we're with our kids going, "Would you please go outside and play with your friends?" Right? There's just like, what's happened? We need to watch that. We need to get uh, get ourselves around people. Give me a couple more really quick. Is you got to resist comparison? Resist comparison. 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah's at a place where he says, he came to the broom bush, sat down under it, prayed that he might die. He said, Lord, I've had enough. He said, take my life because I'm no better than my ancestors. I'm no better than my fathers. It's like he was living under this pressure where he's not pleasing his fathers. He's not as good as the people around him and he's living in this place of Of comparison and the enemy will always isolate you and then get you to play this game of comparison you end up drowning in your perception of others and God never wanted you to swim in it for the first place don't swim in your comparison of others first of all your perception of others is a false perception Because what you see on Instagram when you're like, "Well, our marriage isn't as strong as their marriage, and their vacation is better than our vacation, and they're happier than we're than we are, and their kids are better than our kids," what you don't see is they were in a big old fight just before that meal, but no one no one Instagrams about the big fight they had before that nice meal. They straighten it all up and they go, "Okay, now let's Instagram for everybody to see our nice meal, right?" And so you think, "Oh, they never fight." Oh, yeah, they do. They've got issues. They got problems just like you. So don't swim in your comparison because it's not even right. You don't know what's going on in their life. Matter of fact, I will tell you this right now. Every single person sitting in this room, listening online, all of us are fighting battles that no one else knows about. All of us, including the guy on stage. I got stuff that I'm dealing with that maybe that everyone in the room might not know about. But here's what I got in the middle of everything I'm dealing with. man, I got some community. I got some people I can call out to, I can talk to, and I do all the time. I do all the time. You've got, my friends, to allow yourself to to resist comparison. The second thing is the perception of what you see in them is is not really the reality of what's going on. The second thing is God never asks you to swim in the perception of others anyway. God asks you to set sail into your own, listen, potential and your own opportunities. And and listen, your, your own adventure. Don't swim in the places God didn't ask you to swim. Don't play the comparison game. Comparison fuels depression. Comparison fuels depression. Write another one down. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. When your emotions are surging, one of the things, very practical things you do is just take care of yourself. First Kings chapter 19, verse 5 through 9, it says that Elijah lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And all at once, the angel touched him and said, get up and eat. See, this is God now as we close. God's starting to restore him. How? He said, I need you to get up and eat. It says, he looked around and there was by his head, next verse, by his head some baked bread. They've got some bread there was by his head some baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. It says he ate and he drank and he laid down again. Some of y'all just need a day like this. What'd you do today? I I got up and I ate. I laid down, took a little nap. And I got up and I ate again. And what is God doing? He's bringing Elijah back to health. He'd been running for a long time. He'd been all sorts of stuff in his mind. And and God's just trying to get him healthy. So the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said to him, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. He said, I need you to take care of yourself. So he got up and he ate and he drank and strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Oreb, the mountain of God. Just get up and eat. Listen to me, some of you right now, the biggest thing you need to do is just to take some time to get into healthy rhythms. Some of you need a nap. Some of you need a real meal, real meal. Not like running through Del Taco after church today. Not like I'm talking like crock pot meal. Come on, somebody, I mean, like, like I'm talking like barbecue meal. You got to eat some good food, right? You got to eat some good food. You got to take a nap. Taylor said, say, you taking a nap again? I say, in Jesus' name, I'm taking a nap again. The Bible says that Elijah took a nap. I need a nap. Why? Because I just need a, there's something about a good little 15-minute power nap, right? Just rejuvenate me. And I'm telling you, there's something about just taking a nap care of yourself. Stephen Lardy in his book, The Depression Curve, said, we were never designed for this sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, screen addicted, frenzied pace of the 21st century. Amen. And the result of it is an epidemic of clinical depression. Get yourself a real meal, get outside, go on a walk, get to bed on time, Leave your computer outside your room, your phone outside your room if you have to so that you can actually go to sleep at night and wake up refreshed. God's bringing Elijah back to a place of health and he does it by helping him just get some good care because so much of your emotional state is tied to your physical state. We need to start, some of us need to start exercising. Tatum, I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> the last thing is this, you got to engage in your purpose. Elijah finds himself in a cave, and he's he's still kind of ruminating and wondering. He's wanting to hear from God. It tells us that God um, sends a wind, but he, His voice was not in the wind. Sends an earthquake, His voice was not in the earthquake. A fire, voice wasn't in a fire. Some of us are in places where we're like, "God, speak to me!" And it's like you just are looking for this big moment, this big from fire and earth, wind and fire. It should be a good band, I think. What do you guys think of it? But it says, then comes this whisper, a still small voice. And in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 13, Elijah hears the whisper and he says, he pulled out, pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave and the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Like, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And there's some of you today, you found yourself in a place and you're walking down a road, you're getting into this cave. And God's going, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? In other words, Elijah, you're not supposed to be, be here. Do you remember where you were? Do you remember the, the purposes I had called you to and the things I put in front of you? Remember the joy that was on you? You Remember, the, remember where you were? Remember the relationships you're doing life with? Remember the, what you were doing? He says, "Elijah, get out of here and get back to where you were. Because if you get back to where you were, Elijah, man, I got a king I need you anoint." I got a world I need you to change. I got some purpose that I've placed over your life, and it's time for you to get out of this cave and to step back out into everything I've purposed for your life. You've got purpose over your life. Look at me, every one of you. There is purpose over your life. Don't let the enemy distract you from the purpose he's placed over your life. Don't let your emotions and your mind and the swirling pull you away into isolation where you find yourself in caves. Don't let the thoughts of your mind trend toward negativity and and fear and doubt and all of these things that, that swirl around in the battlefield of your mind. You need to put your foot down. You need to stay with your people. You need to get yourself healthy you need to pursue your purpose. I want to close something very very practical as the worship team comes up. I talk about community all the time. But I don't think I tell you enough about how to actually do community. Like I guess you can show up to a C group doesn't mean you're going to experience community. I think we walk into rooms and we when we're hurting and we want people to know, we want people to come to us and go, are you okay? And I think it's so funny because we always ask, you, how are you doing? Everyone. I have yet to ask somebody, how are you doing? And someone just be honest with you. Most of us go, oh, we're good, I'm good. A lot of us walk into rooms and, and want people to, we, wanna, we put it on them to come to us and, and make sure we're okay. And I get you. And I pray that that happens. But I want you to know how we're supposed to do community is that when we're not okay and when we're struggling, when we're hurting, we come to our community and go, hey, I need some help. Because it's okay to tell people you need help. It's okay to go to them and go, hey, here's where my life's hurting, and here's the stuff I'm processing, and here's, a, here's the here's here's the thoughts that have been going on in my mind, and here's what I you know, and, and, and places where you need clarity in life. Somebody says something and and you think, oh, that meant this thing, and you're over here going, that's what they meant. That's what they go to them and say, Hey, is that that what you meant? I'm, Right? You got to do community. That's how you do community. Does that make sense, everybody? Is you open your life up to one another. Now, if you get into a C group and you want to experience genuine community, here's how you got to do it. It's called being vulnerable. So what I have here is two people. They meet at C group. They meet at cruise. How are you? I'm good. Really? And over time, as you get to know each other and you trust each other and as somebody who loves God and can push you toward the Lord, you open up your life and go a little deeper with them. Here's what I've really been thinking about. And here's what's going on in my heart and mind. Guess what happens when you do that? Chances are they'll, they'll meet you there. And then you dig a little bit deeper and you open up a little more and they open up a little bit more. And we find ourselves just going deeper and deeper with one another while we're, listen, vulnerable with one another. It's vulnerable. Now listen, church, you don't gotta be vulnerable with everybody don't, please don't walk around, everything, okay? Like, but my goodness, you have got to find some people that you can be vulnerable with, open up your life with. And I want you to know, whenever you feel like no one's gonna get it or that they're gonna judge you or that there's no one there for you, I'm telling you guys, it's a lie. And I want you to know you can always come to you always come to me. You come to our pastoral staff. You come to anyone in this church, anyone in your small, your C group. I'm telling you, there is a lot of people who love you and wanna walk with you through whatever it is you're processing, whatever it is you're facing. You don't have to go it alone. You gotta plant your feet. But I mean, you gotta get around your crew. But getting around your crew and just being in the room. It's opening your life to them. It's opening your life. And I think it's a step that some of us need to take, man. You just got to let your life open up so that you'll find yourself moving toward health. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Citizens Church. It's our prayer that through this message, God would impact and inspire your life. If you have any questions for us or would like to let us know how God is using these messages in your life, please let us know by sending an email to connect at citizenschurch.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online and help in seeing more lives change through the work here at Citizens Church. Thank you so much for joining us.